0: Model portfolios can be seen as a threat or an opportunity for asset managers, depending on your point of view and the type of model portfolio being employed. Our latest survey data suggests that 70% of advisors utilize one form or another type of model portfolios. Asset managers distributing mutual funds through advisors need to know this information because if the advisor is using third-party models, the ability of a wholesaler to influence that advisor to look at her solution is very limited, if at all. Today, we are going to explore how the algorithm around model usage by advisors was conceived and why, and its potential to transform the art and science of asset management wholesaling. Welcome to The Point. I'm your host, Matt Schiffman, Principal at Distribution Insight. Today, we're going to focus our attention on algorithms. Specifically, we're looking at how algorithms can be developed to improve distribution strategy. And here to discuss it with me is my guest, Brian Foote. Hello, Brian. Thanks for joining me today.
1: It's always a pleasure to talk with you, Matt.
0: Brian has worked at Broadbridge for over 10 years and is the vice president of data analytics. Previously, Brian has held other roles within Broadbridge, including the vice president of North American Asset Management. Brian, how does a French horn player end up as a data scientist? Well, it
1: surprises me every day that I'm sitting behind a desk and not sitting behind a music stand in a symphony somewhere. But when I finished Music Conservatory, I was preparing for auditions and freelancing around Pittsburgh, but I also enjoyed learning, so I had missed school at that point. So I started taking classes at the University of Pittsburgh, in part to keep my health insurance going as well. So I, I was studying engineering physics and did well in some programming classes. There was a professor, Dr. Anna Belage, who hired me to do some programming for her in her material science lab. So I started writing Monte Carlo simulations to help model material characteristics prior to manufacturing. And started over the years spending more time programming and less time playing horn and freelancing. So it was, it was only years later when I had realized I had inadvertently changed careers.
0: So now you're answering different notes. So Brian, tell me about your current role at Broadridge.
1: I'm responsible for the data center of excellence uh, for investor communications, which is one of the primary business lines at Broadridge. I work across the different businesses to help implement and identify data-driven solutions. A large part of my role is educating people on what's possible and what others are doing within Broadridge. It's very interesting to find areas of exploration when you can connect the dots between our proxy business, a regulatory mailing, Marcom, retirement, asset management, fund, distribution, and advisor solutions. I still have the luxury, though, of pure research and exploring something completely new
0: so you really have a very broad perspective on what's happening in the industry which sets up this next question quite nicely how would you describe the way data and technology have influenced asset management over the last 10 years
1: it's a good question ultimately asset managers you know have a complex business and a, a variety of functions so not all of those functions are created equal when it comes to data and technology my focus has really been on the distribution side of the business, so let me really focus on on answering that. Ten years ago, a lot of distribution teams were really struggling still to put together a clear picture of what was happening in their business. Their solutions were very focused on retrospective reporting, mostly pulling data together to help accurately compensate wholesalers and provide sales reports to senior management. Asset managers have continued to have more data available to them over the last 10 years. And while some have put together the infrastructure or partnerships to bring in this data, others still feel like they're drinking from a fire hose. For the distributors that have a strategy in place to deal with the the data volumes that we look at today, they have a much greater transparency into what's going on with the industry at a whole. So they're no longer just focused on the sales of their own wholesalers and their own teams, but they can see what's going on across the industry. And this has enabled them to move from descriptive analytics to predictive analytics. So they can provide solutions that do segmentation and scoring to help improve wholesaler efficiency and productivity, and provide a significant competitive advantage if they have that capability.
0: So what was the inspiration for creating an algorithm to identify which advisors are utilizing model portfolios? What was the need for this information?
1: At the time, I was working in our client services team, and we had a solution called market intelligence that provided information at the industry level to asset managers, including a lot of ETF manufacturers. ETF manufacturers, their products were being used more and more by third-party ETF modelers. But our solution was really providing not transparency into the adoption of their products by ETF modelers, but by the underlying brokerages that were responsible for A particular account. And so our clients were coming to me and asking, is there anything that we could do ultimately to gain transparency into firms?
0: So, Brian, walk us through the data that supported its creation and what you thought you could solve for.
1: So, the data that drives our market intelligence solution is the data our clients provide us that gives transparency to shareholder positions across the entire industry. And we realized when we were looking for these third-party modelers, we could essentially identify the uh, the portfolio allocations that made up their investment strategies. And we could find the shareholders ultimately that had investment strategies that matched a particular model that we were looking for. But we actually flipped it upside down and started realizing that we didn't need to have an understanding of the model that we were looking to identify. We could actually look at the shareholders themselves and cluster them together and determine which shareholders have the same allocations and which shareholders over time modify their allocations in the same way, indicating that they are really part of the same investment strategy. So the end result is we identify that cluster of shareholders with the same behavior as participating in a model.
0: And just for people who are you know listening in, there's different types of models, right? There's in-house models, There's third party models. How is the algorithm able to effectively differentiate between one model from another?
1: So at first, our focus wasn't really on identifying the differences between models. Our original objective, as I shared, was to be able to identify the specific models and firms, third party modelers, that were building these investment strategies. Ultimately, we realized, though, that we weren't going to be able to keep up with the manual research to identify the results of our algorithm and put names on all of those, those models. In some cases, there just wasn't data sufficient for us to be able to identify the specific firms that were responsible for a model. But our product manager, Alex Petrov. Realized at one point that we didn't need to put names on it; that there was sufficient benefit just simply by categorizing the models. So we, as as you said, we look at at models in a variety of different categories. So we identify a model that we've identified as either being third party model working across the industry, as a home office model, or as an advisor led model, and we do this by looking at the Underlying accounts that comprise that model that we've identified. So, if the accounts are really spread across multiple firms, we identify that and categorize it as a third party model. If it is focused within a single firm but across multiple offices, then ultimately we identify that as a home office model. Or if we see that it's really focused within a particular advisor, then we categorize it as advisor led. So, it's an understanding of the underlying shareholders and investors that make up the model that allows us to categorize that model.
0: So Brian, what do you think the most compelling financial services use cases for this product? At Broadridge
1: we have a number of different solutions, one of which is called Opportunity Hunter. An Opportunity Hunter helps wholesalers identify the advisors and firms that they should be talking with and provides them insight into their competitive advantage and how to approach a particular sales opportunity. But one of the challenges as we've had is that with the adoption of more use of home office models, we would find wholesalers going to a particular advisor only to learn that that advisor had no investment discretion. So they were operating in a, in a firm that had the use of home office models. And so really that wholesaler needed to focus their efforts on the investment committee or a central group that was making the decisions to put their funds into a particular model. So I think one of the compelling purposes of this model algorithm is to help improve the efficiency of wholesalers by directing them to talk to the right investment makers and decision makers when it comes to placing their funds.
0: Any previews of what else you're working on in the laboratory? So there's
1: two things I'm really working on to improve the use of models right now in my group. So we are looking to identify more model activity. So right now, our first generation algorithm is really focused on shareholders and investors that have very similar investment patterns over time. But what we've seen is that there can be a lot more subtlety in the way that models are implemented. There are some firms that might have multiple models that they blend together based off of the risk tolerance of a particular investor. And so we're enhancing our algorithm to be able to identify more of those kind of subtleties for the ways that models are being used or the use of substitutions. So often we might see that a home office might identify a model, but a particular advisor might implement that model with a couple substitute products within similar Morningstar categories when actually talking with their end investors. So we're improving the ability to identify more and more assets by our algorithm. The other aspect that we're looking at is the ability to help wholesalers be more effective at identifying those opportunities where their funds complement the use of a particular model. So we know that wholesalers today really are front-running the conversations that often take place with the portfolio managers themselves. and have to become more and more knowledgeable about portfolio construction themselves, even to get an entree to have a discussion. And so having tools that allow us to compare how a particular fund family's portfolios will complement a model and help direct a wholesaler into the right discussions will be very advantageous for that, that firm.
0: So let's get to the point. What is the competitive advantage for asset managers who leverage data science in support of distribution?
1: We see a lot of downward fee pressure for asset managers. And ultimately, they're going to have to, like most firms these days, do more with less. And so... Data science is a tool that allows firms really to be able to be more efficient. So you have to improve your efficiency and productivity. Data science helps us to be able to do both. I've always looked at it really as you know, to use kind of a sports analogy, you know, we we have to improve the number of times that a wholesaler has their chance at bat, as well as their actual hitting statistics. So if we can make sure that they are having more meetings by taking some of the heavy lifting of identifying who they should be talking with out of their hands, and focus on what to say so that when they are in those conversations that they have a better opportunity of converting the discussion into a sale, then ultimately we're making the entire distribution firm more effective. And that really allows them to do more with less. The firms that aren't doing this, I mean, are going to be left holding the bag. They're, they're not going to have the ability to keep up with the firms that really um, are focused on using data in this way.
0: And I, I would absolutely agree. I mean, the cost of distribution is expensive. It is certainly being challenged as we go through the COVID crisis in terms of the accessibility of advisors uh, that host can get to. So this kind of data not only puts them in the right stadium, but also helps them figure out where they want to place that ball when they hit the pitch. So it is a terrific force multiplier in terms of sales success. Thank you, Brian, for joining me. And thank you to those listening. Please tune in to our next podcast when I'll bring in another special guest to talk about how this algorithm is being applied to improve advisor segmentation and client journey mapping. Until then.